Uh, I'm excited to get to this chapter. Um, this is uh, interesting in so many ways. This is really almost a commentary on David's whole history, and it focuses on the Lord's involvement in David's life. Now, there's some interesting features of chapter 22. One is that if you look at the books of Samuel as a whole, then two songs frame the work. Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2 and this song in 2 Samuel 22. And they're connected. Um, they, they both speak of, of, of the horn, of the rock, of God's deliverance, of the, as the, of the king as God's anointed. There's a lot of parallels. Now, Hannah's song is much briefer. But there are many parallels. And so it's like these songs of praising God for his strength and deliverance framework the whole books of Samuel that show you God's great works of strength and deliverance. So you've got a commentary at the beginning and the end that, that, that praises God for the deliverances that he gives through the book. I think that's a cool idea. Another thing that is interesting about this is that this is virtually word-for-word word identical to Psalm 18, which was a psalm of David. So this particular psalm is not only in this historical book dealing with David, but it's also one of the separate psalms. Um, it, 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 interestingly, is a psalm with a heading, and we, we were not sure if the headings were actually in the original and therefore inspired by God. But the heading of Psalm 18 is in the text of 2 Samuel 22, showing at least this heading is inspired by God. I suspect the headings were original, partially because of the heading of Psalm 18 being in the text in 2 Samuel 22. There are, there is no, this is the longest um, parallel passage in the Old Testament where they're virtually identical. There are some other briefer passages that are almost identical. But this is the longest passage uh, that's almost identical uh, in, in the Old Testament. Because this is a long psalm. And you can read Psalm 18. It's virtually the same thing. So I just wanted to say those things by way of introducing uh, chapter 22. Do you have some questions, comments about the introduction? Jacob. It's just cool to read this and thinking about this as we're looking through it. Because we've been building up in 2 Samuel, like David's reign and everything he's been doing in his life and it's built up to this point and in this point I mean he kind of lays everything out that God's done for him and where he's seen God in his life so it's just kind of cool to think back through what we've studied the past couple days and see where this psalm fits into David's life yes exactly yeah once you've seen David's life you see so much more meaning in what he's saying here and, and that's a good thing to do we really need to reflect on why David would say what he says in this psalm yes I'm sorry I'm backtracking that's okay back in 21 um, at the end of it in verse 22 it says these four were born to the giant in Gath so it's number four and then there were four people killed in that whole section yes. is it possible that the, the Goliath mentioned is not his son just named after him it is possible okay yeah that would be a possibility okay. okay yeah interesting idea Eric it's kind of cool when you, you think about David's life and in the books of First uh, and Second Samuel, you see his life from the outside perspective, but then in the Psalms, you see it from the inside perspective, and you get to see what was going on in his mind during the things that we're, we've just been studying. Yeah, great way to look at that. You know, what does a man think, feel, express when he goes through the kind of deliverances that God gives to David? Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Good thoughts. Other comments? Cameron. Do we have any idea when it was written? Like, what point in his life? You know, I think we do in the sense of verse 1. David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, just exactly what all his enemies include, along with the hand of Saul, I don't know. This is at least after he's been delivered from Saul. And since it mentions all his enemies, I wonder if this isn't a reflection more closer to the end of his life as he's experienced, you know, the kinds of deliverances we've seen throughout the book. So, at least post-Saul. 
Other comments? All right, one to four. <laughs> words of the songs of the Lord of the day the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies, from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my, re my refuge, my Savior who saved me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from all my enemies. So, how does David look at God? A stronghold, a fortress. Yeah, he's got so much to say about God. He's really just setting forth all that God means to him. And it's so encouraging. The Lord is my rock. To say he's my rock means he's what? Foundation. Foundation. Immovable. What else? Permanent. Permanent. Anchor. Anchor. Strong, unchangeable, faithful, dependable. He's his rock. He's his fortress. What does that say? Shelter. Shelter. Protection. Protection. Security. You know, he says he's my deliverer. He's my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield. So he defends him and protects him. The horn of my salvation. Horn of my salvation? One of the complicating factors when you read this in English is that our English word horn has two meanings. But the original language word horn only had one. What kind of a horn are we thinking about here? Animal horn. Animal horn, not musical horn. In the original, that's clear. In English, it's ambiguous because we have two definitions for the same word. We're talking about an animal horn. So think about the horn on a bull or something like that. He's the horn of my, my salvation. What does that mean? He goes before me. He's the strength. He's my strong salvation. The horn on an animal is what he used to fight with. It was his strength. And so the Bible will speak about exalting the horn, that's, that's increasing the strength, cutting off the horn, that's to defeat uh, the, purpose, uh, the person or the nation or whatever. And so the horn represents the strength. He's my, my strong salvation. He's my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. What word do you keep seeing repeated in this? My. My. You know, there is this personal connection between David and the Lord. He's my rock, my fortress, my stronghold, my salvation. And, and, and you see that closeness. He's, he's sufficient to meet every emergency, to answer every need. All of the resources that we could ever want are in the Lord. And so what does David do in verse 4? He calls on the Lord and what does the Lord do? Saves him. God, David knew who to turn to when he was in distress. He does not say, I called to my mighty men and they delivered me. Now, God sometimes delivered through mighty men, but David saw the answer is coming from the Lord. God is everything to David and he should be to us. We need to constantly see the Lord as his strength. Psalm 59, 16, but as for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall sing joyfully of your loving kindness in the morning, for you have been my stronghold, a refuge in the day of my distress. Think about the day of your distress. What are some of the days of your distress? What are some of the distresses in your life? You know, and, and there's all kinds of things that are distressful, depending on your life and your situation. Now, how does the Lord deal with that? In the day of his distress, he calls to God and God delivers. What do you do in the day of your distress? Think about all David faced. Think about Saul from 1 Samuel. And uh, many of you know those stories. You know the harrowing experiences. You know the... Uh, you know, escaping by the skin of his teeth uh, kind of situations. Not really, because God was with him, but it looked that way. You think about all the things David has faced. 
throughout this second Samuel, especially all the uh, things with Absalom and so forth, and you see how God is sufficient in every situation. You know, we need to turn to the Lord in our distresses. Comments and questions to this point. Yes, Jason. Uh, well, God will allow us to go through those days of distress, meaning it may get pretty hairy for us. I mean, you think of the language here that he's using. Uh, for the waves of death encompass me, the torrent of destruction. And so we've got to have faith that though we are going through those times, God, uh, when we call upon the Lord, He will deliver us. But it may get pretty rocky. This reminds me of Jonah and what is some of the language he used and, uh, and what he was going through. So what does the Lord do? Does He keep us away from anything that could be distressing? No. He rescues us in the middle of the distress. David sure went through a lot. Really harrowing, stressful, difficult situations. The Lord delivered him in the distress. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did God keep them out of the furnace? God was with them in the furnace. That's what he's saying. Yes? Um, kind of going back <clears throat> excuse me, to the horns. The first thing I thought of, and this might be totally off, was the altars in the cities of refuge. Yes. We see later Joab going and holding on to the horn, and I wonder if it's saying, God, you know, is my protector. I'm holding on to that horn of protection from sin. I wonder if that's a connection. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the one of the altar represents the strength of the altar, and that's really the Lord. So, yeah, I think there is a connection. Penny. Something that I have realized um, about myself and my relationship with God that um, I think for most of my life as a Christian, when I would pray to God, I would use more of a we, you know, we love you, I know that you love us. It was never really I and me. And when I started doing that, it was very hard for me. I knew that God loved me, and I knew that he loved everybody else, but to actually make that personal, I found it very hard to do, and I, and I knew that was wrong. And as I've worked on that, my relationship with him has changed greatly. It has become much more personal. It's a really good comment, because that is, I think, a common thing for us not even to speak to the Lord very personally. You know, if we keep it in the we, then it's, it's not as direct. But look at what David does. Look at the personal relationship he has with God. Good comment. Other thoughts? Chuck? David deserves credit. It's really easy, especially delivering from, through, from God, but through the mighty man, it's really easy to get distracted and see. And so David's acknowledgement that it was from God um, is impressive. And it's easy for us to see, maybe not deliverance in the same sense that David had it, but when things good things happen to us to see the source as being whatever whatever was here on earth and not seeing God. And that, I don't know, it's really easy to get distracted that way. Um, and I, I just appreciate the way David's acknowledgement of God in his deliverance. Amen. Yeah, great point. Logan. I think it's encouraging to see a prayer that's less like a grocery list and more like a love letter and showing some sort of personal attachment to them. Good point. Yes, we, we don't want to just give God our list of requests. We want to, you know, speak to him more personally and directly. Look at the situation here. This is an amazing depiction of what David went through in verse 5. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God. And from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry for help came into his ears. How does David see himself? <clears throat> like a... Like a what? Well, maybe more late in, in six. What about in five? A drowning man. A drowning man in a flood. He's going under. 
You know, he just feels like the waves of death are, 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 are over his head. He's, he's about to drown. He's about to be killed, but he's about to be killed in this flood. You know, can you imagine the, the feeling of suffocation as just these waves are coming in over you and you, you, you're fighting to, to get to the surface and you can't and, and you just feel like you're just covered over more and more. How would that make you feel? Hopeless. Hopeless. Panicked, trapped, you know, overwhelmed. That's, that's what David was feeling. You know, what do we do when we face death? When we face things that are extremely stressful and overwhelming, do we cower in fear? Do we escape into denial? Do we resign to the inevitable? Or do we turn to the Lord? How did he feel in six? Kind of like what? Like tied up. Tied up like a what, maybe? Like an animal, like a wild animal. That the cords and the snares, you know, death had its ropes around him, was dragging him down. He feels bound, he feels trapped. You know, he feels helpless. Death and the grave were on the attack. You know, really, compared to what David's saying, my problems don't seem quite so bad. You know, I've never quite felt like, you know, death and the grave just had me trapped. You know, they, they were drawing their cords around me and about to drag me under. You know, but that's what David has felt. Can you imagine why if you look at his life? And so what does he do in those situations? Calls on God. Calls on God. No, he cries. You know, he called them. He cries, you know, he intensely cries. Uh, and, and think about, it. there's never a bad time to pray. And we always need to turn to the Lord. No distress ought to ever keep us from asking for the Lord's help and intervention. And what happened when David cried to the Lord? God heard him. God heard him. Where did his cry go to? To the temple and to into God's ears. I mean, he's saying that as strong as you can say it. His cry didn't just reach God's presence. It went into his ears. God heard him, and he makes that as strong as he can make it. That's the example. That's a pattern for us. When we are overwhelmed, when we are trapped, when we are going under, when we're hopeless and in despair, we call, no, we cry to God. And his, our cry will go into his ears. That's really powerful. Comments and thoughts? Cameron. This makes me think about a certain time in his life at the end of First Samuel when he hadn't been quite thinking about God and inquiring of God. I mean, chased around. He went over to the Philistine side. And then they want to go to war. And then their house gets raided or their city. And then they get carried off. And that, at that point, he finally turns to God. I, I get this idea of him. He's getting teared down into this grave. And then he's... He cries to the Lord, and at that point, and then he's able to get his people back. He's able to get all of his town, and no one's hurt, and no one's uh, messed up. I think that, could that be a time where this might be talking about? Maybe so. Yeah, that would be a good time to talk about Kelly. David's just a, a great example for us in many ways, obviously. But if you think about what he said back in chapter 7 and verse 8 about he took David from pasturing the flock. Um, you wonder if David ever, during some of this time, not when he was sinning, but when he was doing what God gave him to do, if he ever thought, I just wish I could be a shepherd again. Uh, and, you know, when you think about what he's gone through in serving God and being what God intended him to be, it's a great example for us to say, well, there may be things we'd rather do, but that we need to do in the kingdom of heaven. It may be easier just to be the sheep in that field, but... I think it's really amazing that God hears David. I mean, it says he's in his temple where people are probably praising him. We know from Revelation in the throne scene, like, angels are praising God like all the time. And I think it's just so amazing that he hears David's cry for help. He's willing to listen. He hears our cry for help, even amidst um, all these other angels praising him and glorifying him. We don't maybe value the privilege of praying or think about what it means 
You know, I find myself when there's a lot going on, paying less attention to certain people and what they say because I've just got so much other things cluttering my mind I can't even hardly listen. You think about all that's going on, all that God's in control of, you think about the angels in chorus praising Him and the Lord listening to the cry of a half-drowned man. Ethan. Um, I don't know if this is obvious or not, but is this a time in David's life when he's slipped from, his focus has slipped from being set on God, or is this just one of these times when he's being pursued by his enemies and all seems lost, but he's still, he's still looking to I God think really more the latter because of some things he will say later on. But really, maybe it doesn't matter too much. Like, like when he's slipping and being pulled down, like is that a time when I he's think still he's going to talk about how he's righteous and faithful to God. So it may be a time when you know he's being pursued through no fault of his own. Other thoughts. Well, what does God do? Eight to sixteen. And the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and a bowing fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also, and came down with darkness under his feet. Then he rode up a cherub, cherub, and flew, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness canopies around him, dark waters and thick clouds in the sky. And the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them. Lightning bolts and he vanquished them. And the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered. At the rebuke of the Lord, the blast of breath of his nostrils. So David was praying for God to hear his voice and behold an earthquake. You know, wow. Then, you know, my cry for help came into his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of heaven were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. You know, God shakes up even the stability of the creation uh, because a, a faithful follower of his has been unjustly assaulted. What an amazing thing. You see smoke going out of his nostrils, fire from his mouth, coals kindled. Then you see how God in a mind-boggling description of his intervention, saves David. You know, he bows the heavens, he rides the cherub, and, and, and he thunders from heaven, and he sends lightning like arrows, and he, and he defeats the enemy. It's just an amazing display of God's power. It's an amazing thing to think that God can take one of his servants who cries to him, and he comes down with every, every weapon in his, in his arsenal to deliver David and to rescue him. Who would think that the cry of any human being would ever lead to God acting in such a magnificent way? It's just, it's just breathtaking. Wow, God does this? But you think about how many times even when Saul was chasing him, did God deliver in ways you would never have imagined? You just can't, can't fathom it. How, and many times in David's distress, how God was there for him and delivered him. Comments and thoughts? Yes, Jonathan. Um, why was he angry even though he was saving David? I think he was angry with the wicked people that were attacking David and with the forces of darkness that were trying to overcome him. So say Saul, in Saul's case, I think it was angry with Saul for having attacked him. Dave? I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of, you know, like say here, David wasn't looking at, at the strong men as the ones that delivered him, it was God that delivered him. And likewise, he was not looking at Saul and these other individuals as the enemy. Satan's the enemy. And Satan is just using those other people to try to bring us down. And so we have to trust on somebody who can take Satan down rather than ourselves. That's a good point. You know, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And so flesh and blood weapons won't work. We need the Lord. Good point. Eric. A couple things that 
with with God taking down David's enemies, again, that goes to the covenant that God made with Abraham, that he's going to dishonor those who dishonor God's people. So he's upholding that covenant still. And then also in verse 16, it's kind of interesting that God's word brought the creation into the world and it can take it out. Like sometimes moms say, I brought you into the world, I can take you out. God's word does the same thing. I never heard of a mom say that, but wow. <laughs> My mom never said that. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking, you must have been a really rotten kid. <laughs> but yes, certainly, the God who created can destroy. Amen. Alex. Uh, I, I love this passage when thinking about the ultimate deliverance from sin how in this passage it says that, that God came down from the heavens and we think when we think of Jesus, Jesus being God came down to earth to deliver us from our ultimate ultimate enemy. Um, and it, it's just I, I think it's interesting because when I think of Jesus I think of of loving and, and gentleness. But in, in some ways he's well he's he's very uh, the, the way he, he defeats Satan is, is very is powerful. You know, and this, when I think about that in the, in the context of this passage, maybe, that brings it out a little bit more. Yes. Yeah, he's awesome. Beto. Yeah. The contrast of God's char- uh, character here, and perhaps an uh, example of um, Greek mythology, uh, Greek mythology gods, and where, for example, in the Odyssey, there was go down and, and help, but then when they were in danger, they would just fly back up in, in those stories. Here you see, you see God just going down with everything he has, just for one servant. And you see that true care, and no worry, uh, you know, it really distinguishes him from not just Greek mythology, from, but from any idea or any God. You know, he, is, he has the true power above hey. any other idea or God. <coughs> Amen. Terry. Jesus cried out before he died. Earth shook, the rock split. God was there. Good point. Yeah, good point. Josh. Uh, just in, I guess, dealing with people day in and day out, talking to people about the Bible and stuff, uh, this is a passage I find really helpful to explain uh, when people say that God, their perception of God is impersonal, that he's just kind of... Let things happen. He's kind of aloof, and uh, this is just a really good passage to help people see who God really is in His nature, and how involved He is with His faithful, um, and really how He reacts personally when His faithful are unjustly treated. Um, I think this can really help people see God for who He is. It demonstrates His righteousness, His care, um, and I think that's this is the God we really need to focus on. This is a good passage for that um, to encourage us and to teach other people with. Amen. Dan. I think a lot of times we're like the Babylonians in Habakkuk. They throw their net into the water and they bring up a bunch of fish with it. So then they make sacrifices to the net. I think we, we do the same thing and we don't we don't know we don't look to the real source of it. We don't turn to God and cry out to him like David does. We just stop at what we can see and stop at what we want to worship and praise. Yeah, that's Habakkuk one. That's a great uh, great concept. That's so true of what we do. Uh, JD. Um, I think it's really cool that um, God's coming to David's whenever he's being afflicted. Um, but Psalm 1975 says, I know, Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So how do we draw that line between calling for help and being afflicted as opposed to saying, God, you're afflicting me and I deserve it. Um, does God afflict us today? And I feel like it's pretty bold to say, God, you're afflicting me. I deserve it. Well, David or uh, uh, Paul prayed for God to remove the thorn in his flesh three times earnestly, and God said, "No, it's to humble you." So there, I think God does bless us with His discipline and chastening. Uh, I think we may not know if that's what it is. We pray to God, and if He doesn't deliver us from it, then we know that it's what He sees as best for us. Well, that's a very adequate answer, Gabriel. Um, actually, Nancy, I pointed this out, but a lot of times when we pray, it's about us, you know, and it's me, 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 and David's prayer is like all about God. Yes. Very God-centered prayer. <coughs> Definitely. Okay. Other thoughts? 
let's see, uh, 17 to 20. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out of a, into, he also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. So God took him. Here he is about to drown and God draws him out of the water. You know what name means to be drawn out of the water? Moses, Moses yeah. David's another Moses <laughs> drawn from the water. All of this dramatic display of God's power for one man. You know, and, and God draws him out and he puts him on a broad place. He'd been in a tight situation and God gives him liberty and freedom and stability in these shaky circumstances. Now he can breathe freely. He's not hemmed in anymore. And all because God delivered him from his strong enemy. God was his support. Do you see that? You know, he gives all focus, honor, credit to the Lord. In his distress, God heard him, and God shook the earth and drew him out of the, the drowning water and delivered him. Comments and questions? Better. I see David saying this, but I can see Jesus saying the same thing, too. Uh, especially in, in the moment when he's in the cross, you know, this, that moment when death is about to take him and cries uh, out to God, and, 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 and God you know, is angry, you have the earthquake and him going down. Uh, I find it very interesting how they're both very similar, even uh, in those moments, uh, those hard moments. Amen. Thoughts, comments? Well, is this for everybody? 21 to 30. For I have kept the way of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his orders. Or start 21. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I was actually reading in Psalm 18. Yeah, it's off by one verse. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Starting in 21. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has re recompensed me. Uh, for I have kept the way of the Lord and have not acted wickedly against my God. For all his ordinances were before me, that for his statutes I did not depart from them. I was also blameless toward him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness before his eyes. With the kindness you show yourself kind, with the blameless you show yourself blameless. With the pure you show yourself pure, and with the perverted you show yourself astute. You have saved an, an afflicted people, but your eyes are on the haughty whom you obey. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord illumines my darkness. For by you I can run upon a troop, by my God I can leap over a wall. David makes it clear here why the Lord is willing to deliver him. And why is that? Because he was righteous. Because he was righteous. Now, I believe that David wants other people to be able to use his experience as a guide to them receiving deliverance from God in their own lives. And they need to know that if David had been a wicked man, this psalm would never have been written. Because God would not have delivered David if he had been a man who had been bent on rebellion against God. God was willing to rescue David because David was a man who had good character. You know, he doesn't want people who've lived unfaithfully who've been rebellious against God to derive some sort of unwarranted comfort from a passage like this. We have to take into account that not everyone gets delivered. You know, we say all things work together to the good of those who love the Lord, but sometimes we say the, to those who love the Lord really softly. And we try to almost leave the impression everything works together for the good of everybody. No, that's not true. 
It's for those who love the Lord. God blesses and delivers those who are faithful to him. David's kept the ways of the Lord, verse 22. He's not acted wickedly. I love verse 23. All his ordinances were before me. As for his statutes, I did not depart from them. He's, he's very submissive to what God says. He get, lets God's laws regulate his life. Uh, and that's the way it is. That, that's, that's why God bless him. The Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, verse 25, according to my cleanness before his eyes. Because God, in, with God you reap what you sow. God treat people according to their character. With the kind you show yourself kind. With the blameless you show yourself blameless. With the pure you show yourself pure. With the perverted you show yourself astute. Depending on how we, what our character is like, God determines how he's going to respond to our cries. So this psalm should only be used by those who are living according to God's will. Thoughts and comments about that idea? Eric? How could David say what he says in verse 23 considering his sin with Bathsheba? I know that there's some debate about this, if it was written before that or after. I mean, because it's true that there's a lot of times we've been reading that he did not keep all of God's rules. They were not all before him. Could David have written this after his sin with Bathsheba? Yes. Well, how so? Yes, Mike. I, I think that he had a proper concept and understanding of what forgiveness is. That he uh, had seen what sin he had done and didn't mourn over it to the extent that he was just groveling in his sin. But he understood uh, perhaps that he was he was able to have a good relationship with God. Yeah, I think that's the case. I think he's saying that he is living a righteous life, not that he's never sinned. I mean, before or after Bathsheba, before Bathsheba, think about the incident with the ark, how he tried to move it the wrong way. Before that, think about, uh, as was mentioned, all that big mess with twice trying, once trying, the other time accomplishing, defecting to the Philistines. And, uh, lying and getting the priest killed at Nob, you know, in one case, and another case, keeping up a double life for a year, almost a year and a half in Ziklag. Was David always letter perfect in serving God? Absolutely not. Was he a righteous man when he writes this psalm? Yes, by God's grace and forgiveness and by his determination at that moment to serve God, he could be considered a righteous man. Righteous can be used in the strict sense Strictly speaking, based upon everything David's done, he wasn't righteous. But based on God's forgiveness and the determination of his heart, he was righteous. Jason. I mean, I, we, we are to have the faith of Abraham, yet you can look at specific instances in Abraham's life where he did not have the faith, but overall, he was a, a man of great faith. Amen. Great illustration. Alec. Uh, you... You look at verse 24, and he talks about, I was also blameless before him. You know, he wasn't saying I was perfect. Just, you know, it says here, you know, blameless is just another another way you can you can talk about a person who's sound, wholesome, and has integrity. Because what he's talking about in this whole passage is that, you know, it's, it's not that he's perfect and he's putting himself up. It's just that he's saying that, you know, I made things right before the Lord. And in my days, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've asked for forgiveness, and I've, I've done what, you know, everybody's not perfect, but I've done what everybody should do and try to make things right. Yes, excellent point. I really appreciate his sentiment in verses 26 and 27, where he talks about the character of God, and he balances it beautifully between his justice and his mercy, something we don't do today very well. Um, and his response to both those, you know, having both those character aspects in, in view in verse 28 is, you know, you save humble people. So the, the response to this is, you know, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. God, God is always looking out for the afflicted and the needy. Seth? If blameless meant perfect, then no one would ever be qualified to be an elder. Right. Good um, point. And evidently Peter was, and remember some of the boners he pulled. Certainly. And you, and you think about it, Zachariah and Elizabeth were blameless in Job. And it's not that they were sinlessly perfect, but we're saying that, that David was a man of integrity, a man who was seeking the Lord, seeking to serve the Lord. And therefore, God was everything to him. I love what he says in verse 29, you're my lamp, you light the darkness. 
God is like the endless supply of batteries that keeps the flashlight lit. You know, and, and I love verse 30. For by you I can run upon a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. There's no barrier that God cannot overcome. God will give us the energy and the courage to move forward against what seems like insurmountable odds. You see how much God has strengthened David, how much he transforms his life, how he gives him just, you know, mounts up with wings like eagles, as Isaiah 40 says. You know, God has done so much for David. You know, much more than just even delivering him, God has strengthened him and, and God has given him great victories. Comments? All right. Um, 31 to 37. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and power, and He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer, and He sets me on high places. He teaches my hands to make war, so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me, and my feet did not slip. All right, so we see that God's way is blameless. That's 31. 33, he makes the way of his servants blameless also. God produces in us the same qualities that he possesses. You know, God's word is tested. He's a shield. He's, he's the only God. He's the only rock. He's my strong fortress. You know, God is everything. We've got to become more God-centered, more God-focused, more God-absorbed. You know, I think it's amazing how much of our life is spent without even thinking about the Lord. It's amazing how much of our conversations are spent without even speaking about the Lord, even to each other. <laughs> even to each other in the church building, if that matters. <laughs> you know, wow, David was a, 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 a man who God was just so much a part of every aspect of his life. Not like David was not somebody. He was the king of Israel and the most successful one, I guess, in many ways they ever had. But David was a man who couldn't stop talking about the Lord and thinking about the Lord and seeing the Lord as his life. He saw God as the one who, who, who equipped him for battle. He says he trains my hands for battle in verse 35 uh, so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. He's given him the shield of salvation. He, he gives him strength and good footing. In the spiritual battles that we face, God is the one who's trained us. He's the one who supplied the weapons. He is the one who gives the victories. We, don't, we should never fight the battles that we face without constantly seeking the Lord and relying on Him. Just see, God is everything. Has David ever fought? Yeah, he really did. And who is the one who gave him the victory? The Lord is. Comments and questions? Logan. This is uh, a psalm that's about deliverance of David, which is a subject that you would think that David writing it that he'd be talking about himself. Um, and I feel like if we were praying this sort of prayer, that we might, you have three verses towards the beginning that are talking about the troubles that he had. And at this point, we've practically forgotten that this was ever about David's trouble because he's just talking about the Lord so much. And it just really brings to mind that even in something that is regarding himself, he's way more focused on the Lord than even he is on himself. I think we need to emulate that a lot more. Even when we're praying for things for ourselves, we're thinking a lot more about God than we are about us. Great point. Amen. Other thoughts? <coughs> I like the word of verse 35. He trains. Sometimes we want God just make us able to do things. We want, oh Lord, help me with this, and then you just be able to do it. But training takes time. It takes hard work. And 
And God does that. and He doesn't just make us able to do something. He throws trials at us. He throws to, um, different things, build us up. And sometimes we think, well, I don't want to have to have that trial. I don't want to have to have that, but I want this result. We can't get the result without having, having training that comes with it. Can't be a good ball player without all the drills and the practices. Yeah. Other thoughts? Kitty. You said we, we really need to um, be talking about God, and we will only know God if we're in His Word, and we have to delight in His Word and it be our sustenance. Amen. I find it uh, slightly humorous in verse 32 when it says, And who is a rock except our God when uh, all the other false gods actually were rocks? <laughs> <laughs> Never thought about it that way. I like that. <laughs> uh, good, good comment. Other thoughts? All right. Uh, 38 to 46. them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them, I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. But you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me and those who hated me I, and I destroyed them. They looked and they, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord but he did not answer them. I beat them as, as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like mire at the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came, cringing uh, to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. Wow. So he constantly credits the great accomplishments on the battlefield to God. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them. I did not turn back until they were consumed. I've devoured them and shattered them. They fell under my feet, for you have girded me with strength for battle. You've subdued under me. You've made my enemies turn their backs and so forth. Just so much emphasis on the victories that David gained were because of what God had done. We need to give more credit to God. Think about our battles. Our battles are not physically fighting. But what are our battles? Teaching people the gospel and rescuing them from the clutches of Satan when someone is brought to the Lord? Was it because we really had a great presentation? Man, we talked so good. Man, the church was so friendly and nice. Wow, we've got this latest super duper technological whiz-bang sort of a approach. And man, that's the greatest thing there ever was. That'll convert them right and left. Or do we see that the Lord is the one who gave us the victory in the, bat the battle against temptation? Man, I, I was really tough that time. Man, I really had a lot of willpower, and I had a lot of determination, and I did everything just right, and man, I beat back the devil. Or do we give the credit to the Lord and see that he's the one that strengthened us and that won the victory and that defeated the enemies and so forth and so on. It's amazing how quickly we pat ourselves on the back for the things the Lord has done for us. You know, there's, there's illustrations of that all over the place. You know, um, I, 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 what came to my mind was what I hear Paul Earnhardt say from time to time about the, the mouse or whatever riding on the back of the elephant across the kind of rickety wooden bridge. You got the other side and the mouse whispers in the elephant's ear, we really shook that thing, didn't we, big buddy? <laughs> you know... That we is a little out of place, and we probably don't even contribute a mouse weight's worth to our victories in battle. So we really need to give the credit to the Lord. I, I love verse uh, 42. What did the enemies do? They looked. And? So, what did they do? They cried to the Lord, but he didn't answer. Can you believe that? 
Why would the enemies pray to God? <laughs> Isn't it amazing that prayer is such a notable weapon that even the wicked in their desperation will resort to it? It is rather remarkable to see some people who will turn to God in prayer. I mean, people who have nothing to do with God, not a good word to speak about him, but they get in trouble. And God help me. <laughs> you know, that, that's a remarkable thing. But God answered David. He doesn't answer these wicked people. What a contrast. And what an amazing victory. I pulverized them as the dust of the earth. Verse 43, crushed, stomped them as the mire of the streets. And, and you delivered me, you kept me as the head of the nations. Foreigners uh, obey me even the, at the report of his victories. They, they lose heart and they yield. Clearly, the language here, if you press it, I think applies more clearly to Jesus even than to David. This is a psalm that almost goes, transcends David's experiences to really depict in, in its fullness the victories of our, our Lord and Messiah. Eric? That also applies to us because in Isaiah 55, when God, God when people listen to him and, and they come by that which they can get without price or whatever, and in, in verses four and five, God makes us a leader and commander of the people, and people come to us and bow down to us in, in, in the sense that we as people who have been glorified by God, non-Christians come up to us and they see something different about us, and then they come to us, and then we, we teach them the truth. So that language is also with us. Okay, good point. Yeah. Other thoughts? Uh, Tyler? Uh, it also, this verse 42 brings to mind some of the things we talked about last year with Saul and how when he and, and David ran all over the country, Saul was constantly calling on the name of the Lord and you know saying, as the Lord lives, this will happen, this will happen. And we pointed out last year that those things you know weren't actually in the favor of the Lord. So what are we calling our Lord for? Um, make sure that we're carefully calling for his will in terms of what's going on in our lives rather than what we can do. Amen. Now, I'm just going to say it's interesting in 41, it's talking about he gave me the next my enemies uh, it's kind of like a metaphor it was a custom back then that the kings would put their feet on the necks of their fallen enemies showing that they have full they've fully overthrown they have full control so yeah just showing that, that god has placed these people before, before they yeah it shows almost the uh the size of the victory uh, the you know outstanding nature of victory. good point jacob um, this psalm should just so greatly parallel our lives. I mean, we're in a terrible place where only God could help us out. And he gave us power to crush wickedness and to crush the wicked people from around us. And after that, um, we were an example to everyone in the world. And everyone in the world wanted to come and see what we were about. Very great statement, yeah. That's, it would be helpful to think about this in a personal, spiritual sense in our life. Very good. <coughs> Josh. I think this psalm might be exactly what like, Asa remembered the first time he came against the Ethiopians and he said there's none besides you to help help uh, in a battle between the, the powerful and those who have no strength. And then that's what he forgot the second time around. I think this psalm illustrates what, what happens when we forget those kinds of things. Good point. Andrew. I think verse 46 is a contrast to verse 3, because in verse 46, the foreigners are trusting in their fortresses, and those fail them, and they flee them. But for David, God is his stronghold, not even a tangible one, and that protects him. Good point. Look. This reminds me a lot of uh, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, where it says, This says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, and that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight the Lord. Very good. Yeah, good coming. Other thoughts? Okay, we're going to take a fairly brief break. Uh, break for about ten minutes. To the song that... Uh, really uh, is powerful. Both. Verse 47, in 2 Samuel 22, 47, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be God, the rock of my salvation, 
the God who executes vengeance for me and brings down peoples under me, who also brings me out from my enemies, you even lift me above those who rise up against me, you rescue me from the violent man. Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. He is a tower of deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Think about all that David has gone through and how God has rescued him. Instead of exalting himself, David praises the Lord. He sees himself as the recipient of God's gracious blessings and care. He recaps the mighty works of God in his life. And when God has done great and wondrous things for us, what should we do? Verse 50. Give thanks and praise among the nations. What's that say? Tell everybody the great things God has done. Isn't that what God told the man who had had the legion of demons in Mark chapter 5 to go and tell the great things God had done for him in the city where he was from? We need to speak more about the great things that God has done and about the great God that he is. When we are uh, guarded and, 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 and sort of uh, closed about our expression of gratitude and praise to God, we try to make sure nobody finds out that we're really uh, excited about the Lord. Well, what a shame that is. How useless that is. We need to be acknowledging our great God so that other people will come to know him and praise and glorify him too. I just think we struggle with that. You know, we struggle with speaking about God and speaking about the things God does. I mean, why wouldn't we say, well, God gave this victory. God gave this deliverance. God did this. God did that. We will say everything but God did it. You know, but that's what we ought to be saying primarily, and we ought to be speaking to others in a way that they come to see the importance of acknowledging God and glorifying Him too. Comments and questions? Penny. I think we, and I think it's already been mentioned this weekend, that we are so afraid of sounding like we're denominational by saying words like praise God, praise the Lord for that that it's, it's almost foreign to us, that it's very shameful when people in the world sound, give praise more than what we do. Yeah. I, I used to have a chiropractor, um, well, still my chiropractor, but every time I would go to him and he would find, about, find out about something good that was going on in our family or you know anything positive, praise God for that. And he wasn't being showy. Or, I mean, he was gen genuinely doing things, and I thought, pretty sad that he sounds more that way than me, and it, it really made an impression. Yes. Amen. Great comment. Yes, Judy. I mean, it, it happened last night. We were in an elevator, and um, asked what we were doing, and uh, so now somebody said we were really blessed to come to Bible study. We've been here for three days. I'm like, wow, what a blessing! I'm a minister, and he gave us some CDs. <laughs> that's a great opportunity there there are so many great opportunities we've got to take advantage of them we've got if we were just you know sometimes for me I get in my evangelism mode now I'm going to try to find somebody to teach the gospel to but there are people to glorify God to all around me all the time Eric well, it's just interesting that when you're glorifying anything, people want to check it out. Like, I talk about how I love Chipotle all the time, and it's encouraged other people to want to go to Chipotle. But, but when we don't say great things about God, people aren't interested in checking him out. But we'll say great things about everything else, like sports and Chipotle and coffee and whatever else, except God. Good point. Jay? Um, God had promised 
I would think so because I think that is a reference to that promise that God made. And so that he is thanking and glorifying God for this commitment to bless his descendants forever. So I would think that would be a good indication this is after he made that promise. Yes, good observation. Logan. In regards to uh, what we're saying about, you know, talking about the Lord, being more excited about the Lord, I've thought about a lot of times that whenever I'm thinking of, you know, saying something more spiritual or more something, bringing God's name into it. And, you know, I think about it, I think what was said, I think, okay, what could I say to this? Then I notice, but then when I'm talking about other stuff that I really like, I don't really go through that same process. It just kind of comes out. So I wonder if part of the issue with us is maybe that we really aren't as excited as we ought to be. Because if we were as excited as we ought to be, we wouldn't really have to think about it. It would just more come out. Good point. Maybe we aren't really seeing the greatness of God's deliverance. We would usually sing somebody's praises if they'd really done some great thing for us. Do we not see what God has done for us? Yeah, great point. Yeah, Andrew. To me, these verses are just really encouraging because um, it makes evangelism seem so much more achievable. And kind of going off what Eric said, you know, it, it just seems so e a lot easier to, you know, just talk about the great things God's doing in your life than to think about, okay, how am I going to convert this person? And when we are excited about God, we are glorifying God, that makes people want to come to us and say, tell me more about your God. So it's just really encouraging because it makes you think, you know, evangelism may not be as difficult as you might think it is. Yeah, it ought to be a product of our constantly acknowledging and glorifying God in our life and to everybody we talk to. Very good. Josh? I just have a question. Um, I guess sometimes me personally and people, I have this discussion with different people that try to be more outgoing in their thankfulness to God, but I guess they let... The unknown or fear of not praising God correctly paralyzed them in their giving thanks. They're not sure if that was God or if it was something else, so they're afraid to step out in that. And I just wonder how you address that. Right, that's a great question. Obviously, not everything that happens should be blamed on God. Um, when Saul saw that David was inside the walled city of Keilah in 1 Samuel 23, he said, God has delivered my enemy into my hands, or something to that effect. Well, it wasn't true at all. God warned David to get out of Keilah, so he wasn't delivered into Saul's hand. You know, when David had the chance two different times to kill Saul, his men said, this is, this is the Lord giving you this chance. Well, it wasn't, and David did the right thing not to touch the Lord's anointed. But if it's a good thing, if it's something that is in accordance with God's will, then I think we should see God as the source of that. I think David had no hesitation to ascribe his victories over, over wicked enemies to the Lord because that's clearly the Lord that does those sorts of things. So I think we look to see what God does by how the character and the activities that he reveals about himself in his work. Seth? Uh, I find it really interesting that we don't have many sermons in the New Testament about telling the New Testament Christians to get out and evangelize um, because they were already excited. It, it was something that was a part of their everyday life. They didn't have to be told to be excited about God because it was something that came naturally. It's something that I've mentioned several times. I've observed in most Christians in Brazil and most of the places where I go evangelism seems to be more of just a given, even with not young new converts, than, say, church attendance is. You know, people may not attend very well, but they evangelize. Yeah, that's a given. Now, they work on their attendance or something else, but, but you talk to people about the Lord to everybody. They, they're much more natural with that. That really would seem like a natural outgrowth of what God has done for you, is that you'd share that. That would be a rather easy thing to do, as, as Andrew said. So, good point. Other thoughts? Yeah. Uh, I think verses 47 and 48 kind of reflect or echo uh, Moses' words in uh, Deuteronomy 32. He uses uh, the, the symbol of the rock a lot um, all throughout Moses' speech. Um, the, and, and he talks about how the people, if they don't follow God, they'll be punished, and if they follow God, they'll be blessed. But the covenant, uh, and I think that's 
uh, also reflected in, in this psalm, uh, with David being blessed, uh, reflected in verses 21 to 25. Good. Yeah, good point. Other thoughts? Dave? Sometimes I think with our lack or unwillingness to acknowledge what God has done for us, um, is that we're more concerned about people realizing that we're not perfect. You know, we, we focus more, you know, like our discussion of David earlier, whether or not he had written this psalm before or after he sinned with Bathsheba. You know, what's the greatest thing that God has done for us but to help us to overcome the sin that is in our lives? And he's the one that we look to. Amen. Amen. Eric? Do you have any suggestions on how we can grow in our excitement for God or help other people do the same when we're talking about this kind of stuff? Well, you know, I suspect a lot of things. We just need to see the greatness of God's deliverance and the greatness of what God does, and that requires us to really meditate on Him, you know, feed on His Word, you know, focus on spiritual things and not material things. I mean, it's probably a product of our whole spiritual life. I don't know that there's one technique. Kimberly? I mean, spending time alone with Him is very and building your relationship, like getting closer to him, and spending time, you know, reading your Bible and praying along with him, really helps you, you know, get to know him and get closer to him, to the point that you're able to talk about him because you know about him, you know, and you're close to him. So spending time alone is very important. Good point. Yeah, yeah James four eight. You draw near to God. Yeah. Good point. Okay. All right, we've got another psalm, much briefer one now. I would 